Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 207th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast whose goatness was never in question. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, Word of Commander on Twitter, filling in for James, who's still surfing. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, who do you think is the uh, the GOAT Magic player? I'm really biased because I think I've won more games with Shadow Mage Infiltrator in my cube than I have any right to. So, like, I'm really... Uh, I, I I know that the Invitational isn't an official thing anymore, but I also, like, nothing makes me happier in Commander than a Solemn Simulacrum. And, uh, you know... I, I can't choose. I don't have a favorite child. I don't have a favorite invitational card. I don't have a favorite world champion. I'm going to bow out of this one gracefully. Was Psalm Simulacrum uh, Kai? Was he sad? Uh, no, wasn't that, wasn't that Jens? Yeah, okay. Well, yes. I thought you were comparing, because Shadow Mage Infiltrator is Finkel. I thought you right. were. Yeah, Kai Boot is uh, Will Bender or something like that. The it's not counter. Will Bender. I love Will Bender. I'm, if one of the invitational cards is Will Bender, I might change my vote. I love Will Bender so hard. Mm. For the, I, I think it's Finkel still, but I suppose that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> MTG Fast <clears throat> Finance is probably stuff sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool and nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. Cliff, what is our episode or our show looking like this week? Episode show? We've, we've got four things on the menu. We're going to start off with the top movers this week. We've got a stack of cards that have really changed in price. Then we've got our picks, uh, things we think are a great place to put some money now to have a lot more later. Then we're going to talk a little bit about worlds in segment three and how those decks did. And finally, we get to talk about Secret Lair and uh, what do they call it? Stargazing? That was the, the tag for it? Oh, I closed the tab, but that sounds rough. Yeah, there is Stargazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we'll start off this week as first mover, first top mover, Omen of the Sea out of Theros Beyond Death. <laughs> Theros Beyond Death. Uh, foils two and change up to about five for just about a double up. Uh, Omen of the Sea is currently the second most played card in Standard and the 26th most played in Pioneer. So clearly most of it's coming from Standard, but Pioneer's still hitting some numbers. This is the two mana flash enchantment that you scry to and draw when it comes into play. This is basically a worse cantrip for the most part, because it costs two instead of one, but you get the devotion pip, you get an enchantment, 
Um, you get to activate it later on when you've got some spare mana. Uh, I, I don't, no, none of us picked it, but I do yeah. remember I have looked at this card like three times wondering if we were supposed to pick it. Um, and I could never make the call, but I'm not surprised to see it on our list here. I'm not surprised either. Um, you know, I was, I remember being surprised at how expensive uh, Mystical Dispute was uh, when we were still opening that foil uncommon, and especially given how many foil uncommons there were in the collector boosters. But uh, this one was also a surprise, although it looked really good when um, PVDDR brought it in with the Archon, the 3-4 flyer that makes a 2-2 lifelinker every time you cast an enchantment. I think there was at least one turn where he went Omen of the Sea into Omen of the Sea, and out of nowhere had four points of flying lifelink ready to do some damage. Ooh, that's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It is. Um, Wild Slash, 750 and change to 15. Wild Slash foils out of Fate Reforged. It's a 10th most played spell in Pioneer. We've talked about this a couple times now. Oh, these foils just keep moving. And again, I don't think Wild Slash is going to be the permanent premier burn spell of Pioneer. But until something better gets printed, uh, the, you know, these can keep going. Frankly, you know, we've seen, we're seeing 750 to 15. But I wouldn't be surprised to see even... I think 20 is probably within the realm of possibility. But at the same time, this is now the 10th most played spell but I think it's backed off in terms of the amount of play it sees overall. Uh, it's not in the top 10 anymore. It is currently 25th overall. So I, I guess at this point I would sell and take the money if you haven't already, because while I think a higher price tag is possible, we're, it's probably going to start to move slower at this point. You are also uh, rolling the bones about a slightly better two damage to any target spell coming along. Um, that is unlikely immediately but um you know we're we're fickle and it's not like we're getting all that much it's it's just a shock with some upside so you know it's not um it's not wizard's lightning or anything like that where you're going to get your three damage you're still always getting two even with the extra ability so i i think you're right uh given that cons attack here what no wait this wasn't con was it cons no it was uh dragons i don't know it was one of them yeah no, it's Fate Reforged. I'm, I should be looking at the list. Um, you know, that was quite a while ago, and not everybody hung on to all their foils, and this is the result. So I agree with you that it could go a little bit higher, and I also agree that I'd be selling. Cool. Glad we're on the same page there, at least. What's next, Cliff? Uh, next up is Poison Tip Archer. The Uncommon out of Corset 2019 has gone from about $3 to $6. $6. And uh, credit where it's due. Uh, this was James's pick uh, five weeks ago to go from about three dollars to five dollars, just on the big back of uh, whatever insight he had that day. Uh, what was it? I didn't even know that this card existed when he first picked it, and by his own admission, he didn't really know either until he stumbled upon it. I don't remember how, but it worked out well either way. Yeah, it's in um, 4,000 EDH decks. The ramp was steep, and uh, it wasn't getting a lot of play in Constructed, but you know, this is a, a pretty sweet card in any deck looking to sacrifice stuff for value over and over again. This is one of the first things Marin of Clan Neltoth wants to find, for instance. Sure. 
Uh, hidden strings out of Dragon's Maze foils four to almost nine dollars here. This is obviously part of the Lotus Field deck and Pioneer, and Hidden Strings does a tremendous amount of work in that strategy. And Dragon's Maze is old. Uh, did we not? Did Hidden Strings not pop up on this list? I don't think it's we've talked about it in past weeks, but it certainly feels like it could have. Oh, look at this. We talked about Poison to Barcher two weeks ago as well. It did this. It was two fifty to five then. Hmm. So it looks like Poison to Barcher must have retraced and then popped again. So someone just listed a couple of cheap copies and somebody bought them again and we're back to where we were. So it's clearly <laughs> a little bit of churn on the bottom end there, but I do think that that five or six dollar price tag will stick. Anyways, hidden strings. Not surprising to see this here. Uh, all things considered, I swear we talked about this at some point, but I can't find it. It feels like we should have, given that it's one of the decks that makes the... Oh, I'm sorry, one of the cards that makes Lotus Field sing. Um, if you have copies, I'd be moving them. I don't think the deck survives long-term, but that was a conversation we had last week. Um, if you can get $9 or you know 7 in buy list credit from someplace for your foil commons from Dragon's Maze, go with God, man. Get rid yeah. of them. Yeah. I know I looked this stupid card up. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> a Chromas Memorial, Memorial foils out of Future Sight. Very Only one non-foil this week. And you all complain that we picked too many foils. A Chromas Memorial foils out of Future Sight. So Future Sight foils supposedly 33 to 80, which would be a pretty hefty spike. And, you know, 50 bucks a copy is a great return. Now, this has moderate EDH demand. I think it's at like 5K EDH rec decks. Um, there have been no foils since M13, which this as of this year would be eight years ago, uh, which is a long time. Um, there are seven copies of the M13 foils under $35 available right now. So even though hint, the, hint, nudge, nudge, that's it, a sign that you should go do something about that. Well, uh, like this is a future site foil that is, you know, soft quote 80, probably more like 50, 55. Now are those M13 foils under 35 good? Eh, they're not the original printing. And also the, um, the EDH demand isn't that much. But at the same time, we're talking about a very old card. Uh, you know, relatively that hasn't gotten foils in a long time. I don't know if we're going to get another foil again. It could pop up in the mystery boosters. I don't have the list in front of me of what was in that set. So if it's already in the convention edition, then obviously we won't get the foils. But if it's not in the foils, technically it could be. So that's a possibility. I guess I'm not in love with these, at, you know, at the $35 mark, the M13 copies, but I don't think I could tell you you're wrong if you decided to make that play. I think that if you've been considering one for personal use, you should uh, get it right away. And uh, speculating on it would be not, I, I'd say no as a spec. Don't go sweep up uh, all those copies and uh, think that you're going to uh, have a, a trip to Hawaii coming up that you'll pay for off of these. Right. It's more like get your copies now before the other the other foil printing catches up. It might not go to quite the same price. You're right. Future site to M13 um, is a jump, but at the same time they 
they look almost the same, man. I don't know if you looked at the art on this. Um, I had this in a, a deck, and uh, I, I did that exact same math. Like, I don't need the foil future side. It looks exactly the same except for the uh, set symbol. Yeah, they are very similar. This is from back when there wasn't much of a difference. Yeah. So there's not not a big change. All right. Uh, I'm going to make you do the next one. Oh, bugger. I was hoping you would. The next card that we have is Pure Sight Marrow. Marrow? Marrow. Marrow. The stuff you chew uh, out it of is the from, Yeah, thanks. Uh, it is the... What was this? Was this an uncommon? Yeah. Is an uncommon out of Shadow Moor. Uh, has gone from about a uh, dollar in the foil to three fifty. Uh, did you know what it did with, before you looked it up? Hell no, because I didn't. <laughs> Not even Corbin uh, would have known this one. Uh, even money on that. Uh, it's hybrid Azorius twice. So white blue, white blue, and uh, white blue untap. Look at the top card of your library. You may exile that card, and it's a two two for two. Yeah. Um, your guess is as good as mine. If you know, please feel free to tag both Travis and I in Twitter about why this is suddenly good. Um, I'm sure there's something about exiling your top card and uh, have a I good mean, time. One of two things is true typically on these. One, it was it showed up in some commander Somebody. video. That, yeah, you somebody know, listed it. Or B, it's a Shadowmoor foil, and there were three copies, and somebody bought one of them, and the price <laughs> jumped. And like, it could be either one of them, and I don't know what it is, and you know, whatever. Uh, Robert the Rich, uh, the only non well, technically the only non foil on our list, but really, it's Robert the Rich showed up on as both the non foils, the foils, the extended arts, the extended art foils, all copies of Robert's of Robert the Rich moved this week after uh, after the worlds. Um, third place, Seth Manfield was running a, excuse me, a playset, and I'm betting if I click into these other ones, they also had, yep, yeah, all playing Robber the Rich. It looks like so a four of in three decks that top aided the World Championship, all playing a full playset of Robber the Rich. Uh, so good on you if you were paying attention on whatever the first day was, because I sure don't know. Was it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Who knows. But if you were there uh, and were able to snag these at a dollar fifty or whatever, two bucks, you did pretty well. Um, you know, you're we're looking at eight bucks a copy now. You could probably sell playsets at twenty twenty two shipped uh, pretty easily, I would bet. Uh, so good on you guys. I would probably be pretty happy to sell these at the moment. Maybe this ends up being a standard staple. Maybe this was a a an event deck, which does happen, especially in a smaller environment like Worlds. Um, but this is definitely for me a you know get out while the getting's good situation. It's very tempting to hold on to this, if, especially if you bought in so cheap. You'd want to like sell whatever copies that you did that you need to sell in order to cover your uh, you know if you bought twenty, sell off ten of them, and now your cut the other ten are just gravy. Um, I would probably be doing that because this still has a long time in standard to be good. Like, um, it's true. The main thing I'd be looking out for would be the next set of Chatlinger decks. Uh, Robert Rich was not in the set that just got announced. I think I'm pretty sure. And, um, I, I would come down on, I would probably sell my copies. I'd want to take the money and run, but if you wanted to get greedy, I would 
indicate that you should probably temper that with just a little bit of caution. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, like, realistically, what's the price tag on these if it stays a tier one deck in standard? It's like probably, it's under 15, right? It's a, it's a four of mythic. I mean, it can't be too cheap. I mean, 10 seems quite, you know, it could hit $10 this week. I don't think it would hit 15 this week, but 15 in a couple of months with like one or two other good red cards in Ikoria and you could be there. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that like you still, like I said, this doesn't rotate out of standard until October of next year. Right, right, this right, has, right. It has forever to get good. And I, I don't think it'll retrace all the way down to two bucks, but it might retrace down to five, four. I, I guess I'm of the opinion that it's, there's, it's always good to sell into the hype. Yeah, essentially, yes. Yeah. There's yeah. rarely a bad rule to follow. In that the other one is let somebody else uh, get the extra 10%. Yeah. Uh, okay, last card of the week, Windfall, foils out of IMA, uh, 7 to 50, supposedly. This is in 23,000 EDA track decks. It's the only foil printing of Windfall since the Urza set. Uh I kind of forgot that this card was in this situation. Like, I didn't realize that the IMA foil was the only other foil printing. Like, did you know that? Uh, I did not. Uh, I was, I think that um, everything has just been so, like, pioneer, 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 standard, standard, you know, all that stuff going on. Um, Windfall is the, this is the only foil printing. It's not, because uh, it was in Urza Saga. Oh, so, it was this, uh, wait a second, wait just a second, because I, I just thought I saw this pop up as a foil when I was browsing the list, but maybe that was, I just read it wrong. Uh, let's see, foils for windfall, so I am a, yeah, you're right, only foil for Nino windfall. Yep. All right, well, there I you remember. go. And, um. If you haven't had somebody play Narset, and th this uh, this combination was real popular at the start of Oathbreaker, everybody was just Narset plus Windfall, which is a combination that will make you friends and keep you popular all the time. <laughs> I bet. Uh, okay, so interesting list there. Um, feel like I missed the Windfall train. Screwed that up. Yeah, it's all right, Travis. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. All right, let's get over to segment two. Our cards to watch. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off. Are you okay if I start us out here? Please do. All right. My first card this week, uh, and before you guys complain that I picked two foils this week, I want you to know that a I looked for non foils for you and couldn't find anything that I liked enough to recommend, and b uh, it looks like eight of our nine top cards this week were foils. So. <laughs> don't um, let the haters get to you man make your picks be strong yeah be by strong. the way i got a little flack for my euro extended art pick last week at 45 uh but i will have you know that the cheapest copy right now is uh wait let me get the exact number here uh 60 dollars. i called it from 45 Ooh. to 70 cheapest extended Ooh. art is now 60 and there's about right. 10 copies before you're at 70, and then it's there's two copies to 80. 
Uh, Travis, I don't know if you have a soundboard over there, but if you want to put a little like sound of somebody going, yay, yay, some audience applause, you, mm-hmm. you do that with my blessing, sir. Well, I, but I'm I feel not... like having a soundboard might be dangerous for us. <laughs> I'm not considering it a victory until it shows up on our list. Although it technically might not, but uh, I just wanted to point that out for everyone giving me a hard time in the Discord. Um, anyways, first pick this week is Thoughtseize, foils out of Theros specifically, currently at $45. Um, you might be wondering why I'm talking about Theros foils and not Iconic Masters. Well, Theros foils start at 65 and the IMA ones start at 65 so IMA has the original artwork, which I think we can all agree is better. That's also probably why those foils are more. Um, but like I said, 65 and very few copies of the IMA foils at 65 before you hit 70. Whereas the Theros foils you can snag for, like I said, the 45. Let me just pull this list up here. Um, there's a couple copies, looks like about two-ish play sets under $50. And then there are 50, 55, and there's only 11 Theros foils on the market at all. Um, and a couple, two of those are nearly $70. So there's basically two play sets under 60 bucks a copy um, on TCG at the moment. You're looking at the most card played in Pioneer, uh, an extremely highly played card in Modern. It is the... Fifth most played card in modern. Um, I mean, I feel like that's, you know, then the Lorwyn foils obviously are like $400 or something. So the Theros art is definitely the worst art, but the supply is real low. The price feels like it's about to move. The other copies are all ahead of this on price. Uh, Pioneer is increasing Thoughtseize demand. At, you know, all the modern players already have one, but everyone starting to play Pioneer who didn't hadn't bought in the modern is going to need Thoughtseize's. I think you're probably in a good position to pick up Theros foils here. Uh, I'm with you. Whenever I see a big discrepancy in prices, whether it's foil or not, like something that has, especially something with the um, the long-term proof that Thoughtseize is an incredibly powerful card. We, we know that. And it's a real blessing for Pioneer that there isn't another card to go with it, like Thoughtseize plus Inquisition. Because when you can have six cop- or six or eight copies of your turn one disruption spell, you are in business. There's a couple of choices at two mana, but that's much weaker. Especially, You need to get that hand stripped before they make their awesome turn three plays, generally how it needs to go. So I'm, I'm for this. Uh, grab them. Have a good time. Well, thank you very much. Um, okay, what's your first card this week? Uh, my first card this week is Damping Sphere, uh, foils out of Dominaria because it appears to be the sideboard choice, the sidebar, one more time, the sideboard card of choice. Um, it's really, really good against a, a number of strategies. It turns off, uh, Lotus Field in a quite delightful way. Um, it's helpful against a lot of the pioneer decks that want to play a, a chain of spells, like one big turn. And uh, if you look up the number of uh, copies that get that it gets played in, it's really, really impressive. Um, the non-foil has gone up uh, about, it's doubled from a dollar to two dollars, but the foil hasn't gone up yet. 
So there's an increasing demand that hasn't shown on the foils. I think it will. And when it does, because there's already, like the foils are already $14. That's already a huge multiplier over the regular price. So I think that it's going to go from about 14 now to, I think 25 is a reasonable guess for where it'll end up. Now this is presuming that at the very least, the Lotus Breach deck doesn't have a big ban. But if they just ban Underworld Breach, you have other ways to play Lotus Field, which are really unfair, and Damping Spear remains very good against that. Um, I do like the idea of buying Damping Sphere. I'm just checking. Boy, that is the 14th most card played card in Pioneer right now. Um, and it, it is, is very popular, yeah. Most played artifact. It's in one-fifth of all decks. Your foil supply, I mean, you've got about 40 vendors, so it's it's decent, but I've definitely picked cards with lower supply. Um, <laughs> we're looking at 14 to 25. Yeah, and it looks like you can probably even score some copies around 12, depending on where you're shopping. If you can catch any sales or something like that, you can get in low. Uh, I definitely think getting in at 12 or 13 to 20 is probably pretty viable. Um, within maybe two quarters here. Uh, and 25 is certainly not beyond the realm possibility either. Uh, you know, if Lotus Breach holds on, then that certainly puts it in better position. And Aaron did tweet that they were tr want to try and give a, a week's week, notice. Yeah. Yeah. A week's notice. Um, be a crazy goddamn week is what it's going to be like we're going to have a band announcement in a month in a week yeah i would just like batten down the hatches and shut off twitter for a week honestly yeah and he said there's nothing on the docket right now so yeah i think this looks pretty reasonable um i just i don't see what would what would sideswipe it at this point you know these sideboard cards i generally don't love sideboard cards but damping sphere does a lot of work against a lot of decks and it's also colorless which means it goes in everything um and it's a type of card that can kind of just creep up and creep up and then you you decide to go oh you know i put these damping spheres in all my decks so i'm gonna grab some foils and you're like oh they're how much yep cool all right i think i'm on board here i think that's a good choice i might go look some of those up when i'm done <laughs> uh the other one that i am going with this week and this one i'm definitely have to go look for copies before i post this is uh <laughs> i mean we're like we're, we're but i mean we're we're honest about that like we always say like if we talk about a card you should assume that we have bought some copies of it because if we didn't like it enough to buy it with our own money why would we have it on the cast that's that's valid i like that um Con continue Swift foot, swift, swift foot, swift foot boots, swift foot boots, foils out of Magic Twenty Five. I uh, really like these. I've got these at a nine. You can grab the M Twenty Five foils at uh, about five fifty, five twenty five, five fifty. There are twelve vendors on TCG Player for a grand total of something like fifteen, no, probably twenty copies, um, and they run up to nine or ten bucks. It is in 82,000 EDH rec lists, <laughs> for reference. <laughs> uh, this is the second foil printing. The other printing was the original version in uh, Core 2012, Magic 2012. So that was uh, nine years ago. And those foils start at 10 bucks, And there aren't even very many of those under $10. And then those catch up too. So I think the M25 foils here are... A slam dunk. I mean, it 
one is half the price of the other, and uh, it's not like one has like an old mortar or anything like that. Uh, they have even the same art, I think, because they've been using the same art ever since uh, M12. So uh, another very easy pickup. You're going to get your copies, and eventually the M25s will catch up. M25 is so weird. Like, we're going to hit 25 in four years. What were they thinking? Hmm. We should have called it anything else. I, I really like that these are have been printed in, like, six Commander decks. Uh, oh, Commander yeah. Commander 2013, 18, 15, 14, 16, 17... Uh, and the Commander Anthology. So Wizards keeps printing them. They just haven't printed any foils, um, which means that like I feel like we're less likely to get foils because they keep printing additional copies into the market. Yeah, this and Soul Ring have been in almost everything because it's a really terrible feeling for a new player you know, to have your thing targeted and you can't do anything with it. And then you find out just how good Hexproof plus, plus Haste is for a single mana. And then somebody comes along with their lightning greaves, and you're like, oh my god, let's get that! Hmm. Yeah, it is. I like uh, this pick. They, they like to keep those staples in people's hands. Alright, uh, what is your other pick this week? <clears throat> my other pick this week is uh, Once Upon a Time. Uh, I know we haven't talked about modern cards very much, but we have um, ro- on averaging like one GP per month. Uh, I looked at the upcoming schedule, and there's like a six-week dead period, but then there's another where there's like two in a row. So there are still high-level, big-money modern events going on. And Once Upon a Time is in so many decks. Um, it's I'm thinking that the Extended Art is my pick because there's uh, less copies of it, and you don't have the foil warping to worry about. Right now they're at $11.00. And given that this is picked up in playsets, no, very few decks are going to play even two copies. A few will try to cheat at three, but um, the it's so low cost even when you're casting it that um, I, I think it's a, a great pick. The regular ones are about $7 right now. I think those could easily bump up to 12 but I think the extended arts going from uh, 11 to 25 is my prediction for some time in the next... 12 months I think that Once Upon a Time is a obviously a ludicrously powerful card I don't know why it was printed um, <laughs> and if I were going to be interested in copies of Once Upon a Time this would probably be the version I'd want because it's the most competitive friendly it looks cool but it's not foil it does a lot of work with the art on the borders, so I like that. Supply is pretty solid here. It looks like you've got 110 vendors on TCG. So it's not, I mean, it's not like this is at a tipping point, but that's not necessarily a problem. Yeah, uh, that is thirty. That is 30 people worldwide deciding they want to play uh, one of the many decks that have four copies. It's in Death Shadow list. It's in some Jun lists. It's in Amulet Titan, Eldrazi decks. Like lots and lots of different archetypes are playing this card. Yes. Yes. It is <clears throat> prevalent in the format for sure. I'm I'm also not wild about modern. That's the problem ultimately for me. Now, James likes it more than I do. 
Um, he was talking about, oh, what was that modern card he liked a couple weeks ago? The name escapes me. Might have been the Ranger Captain of Eos. He picked some modern card. <laughs> some yeah, it was Ranger, Ca- Ranger Captain of Eos picked up a 50% gain. Um, so it's possible. It's definitely possible that modern can still move the needle. I'm just, I'm reluctant to buy anything that's modern at this point, but that doesn't mean that this is bad. It just means it's, you have to be willing to make that play. And that's not where I am, but the card is obviously all over modern. It's going to get played in cubes. Um, it's going to have, you know, it'll probably should, I would imagine is showing up in legacy in some capacity. So I don't think this card is down and out. I, I think you're most likely just looking at a longer time frame here because attrition's going to have to do some work for you, I think. All right. I can buy that. I also, um, <clears throat> I would listen if you were scared about, because it's been banned in Pioneer and in Standard which is usually not a good sign for the long-term health of a card in other formats as well. So yeah, it may entirely be that it, it gets banned in modern and wizards is just like, look, we, we thought green, everybody tells us green is bad. So we decided to make green good. And what happens? All the other green cards come along for the ride and just everybody complains. So we'll never make green, good green cards again. Will that make you happy? Yeah, this was it. You got one, one, uh, one set of good green cards and it ruined it. So it's going to be another 10 years before it happens again. Although Veil of Summer was in a different set too, though. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so not... It's not bad. It's just, it. you know, it's a little different. You're going to have to play a little bit different game. Um, But I do do like the card and the the ban thing. I think the ban concern is probably baked into the price right now. Um, I think the fear of that is already in that price model. Uh okay right. so we have two picks we have we have cards submitted by listeners this week I'm going to level with you I, I got I didn't find any of them strong enough that I wanted to make it like the listener pick of the week thing um but I will I will acknowledge two of them uh I'm seeing the first was uh Cindervine um and the argument here for Cindervine was that it dodged a challenger reprint um the the best bet here is that it's got good uh card kingdom buy list backup so you can buy Cindervines at roughly a dollar or so um probably like a dollar 50 if you're buying singles but you know if you can find a, a bunch of them at once you can probably pay a dollar maybe even less and CK's buy list is at 94 cents so You've got a very close, very tight margin right there, which means there's very little risk to buying these. And if you can find a chunk of them at, you know, 70 or 80 cents, well, you know, sure, there you go. You get, you've just made money. Um, it's also not seen playing standard, which means it's not going to be impacted by standard rotation, which is a, a fair point. Uh, my concern is mostly just that the, the supply is so high. And I'm not clear that the price is going to move fast enough for me to want to go after this. Um, and really, you know, if you're buying at a dollar or so 
and you're hoping to get the buy list to like a dollar fifty, a dollar seventy five, and it's gonna take nine months. Like, I I just like I see the angle. It's just not my favorite. Right. Uh, I'd also say that um, Cinder Vines, uh, and for those of you that aren't aware, it's a two mana. It's a red green enchantment out of uh, what was it? Ravnica Allegiance. Uh, whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, Cindervines deals one damage to that player. So your goal here is to have a card that's good against something like Lotus Breach or some other deck that's doing a lot of wheel spinning before it finishes you off. Um, I don't think this is very good at that because you need to have done something a bit more proactive. That deck will kill you on turn three uh, occasionally and turn four much more reliably. Um, I yeah I I just I can see why it's it's hard to say no to something where you your fail case is you're going to lose like six cents a copy that's your worst case scenario and that's generally something I'm for but your growth case is also you know real marginal this would have to come out of nowhere and make a huge splash and I I just think there's better places to put your money at this point. Yeah, the EDH demand is only 1,500 decks as well, uh, which yeah. I think is also... So it's not like you're getting mileage out of that. You're just going to have to wait for the, the casuals. A lot of waiting. A lot casuals. of waiting. The, the other option here was foil selfless spirits. Um, I, those are a big, big deal in the... Uh, spirit aggro deck in pioneer and and modern for that matter supply is very low foils are 20 bucks so the pick was like foils from 20 to 30 and the the caveat that the the listener provided was it might be too it's possible that the ship already sailed um and i'm totally on i i think that's accurate i think you you missed it uh, we all missed it let me if you if you were going to buy in, it would have already had to have happened. Um, I didn't. Some people did. Uh, but either way, the ship has sailed on these. I would agree with that. It looks like the foils uh, up to middle of last month, middle of January, were 10 bucks, And they were 10 bucks through all of last fall. Then right towards the end of the month, they started to pull up. And even at 12 or 13, they were a decent pick. Now you're paying 20 bucks for them. The card's already doubled in price in a month. I, you know, am I trying to get in for another 50% on that? Uh, that's that's chasing the dragon's tail in the worst way possible, I think. So this was an excellent pick three <laughs> weeks ago. I think it's less so today. And it's not to say that it won't go from 20 to 30. I just don't really want to tell people to go after that. Yeah, um, you're. we've already seen that... Um... The how do we put this? If the big decks get the ban, then this is a prime contender to hit thirty or forty. Even I could see that people are like, "Well, what was the what were the tier decks below Inverter and Breach?" And Bant Spirits is right there, and this is one of the the best things to do in there. It's a very versatile card, and it ends the game quick. So I could see this jumping really hard as a result of bans. But until then, and with like uh, you said, Aaron Forsyth said there's nothing on the horizon. That doesn't mean they can't change the horizon without much notice. I just, I, uh, 
yeah, we're we're a little too late to get there on the kind of jumps that we would want to have. Yeah. So two two good attempts, I think. Um, but neither one of them, I feel like I want to make our our listener pick of the week. Uh, but you guys made an effort, so I'm gonna deliver the credit to one of you here. Um, I was gonna flip a coin, but I can't find a coin. So instead, I have a Nordstrom gift card, and I'm gonna flip this in circles. Uh, so I <laughs> this is real chaos orb stuff. Yeah. One foot. It's gotta be one foot. All right. I've assigned a value to uh, assigned one face to one person and the other face to the other. And uh, congratulations, Oko Assassin. You've won our CSI credit. So good job for you, buddy. Uh, someone, someone will be in touch at some point. Let's move on to segment three, our metagame week interview. It just occurred to me that we should have started doing the credit giveaways much earlier, but we should have just never given the credit away. Like we should have just told people every week we we're going to do like, oh, this person won money and just made up names or something and like pick people from our Twitter list, but then never sent them anything. And people would be like, you know, I won that. A month ago, and I never got my credit, and I'd just be like, "Yeah, how about that? Um, how about that? Like they they don't hate fi- people don't hate MTG Finance enough, Travis. You're going to do that. You're going to be that guy. It it would become the running joke, right? Because then people would would join and be like, "What the hell? I won, and I haven't gotten my credit." And everyone would be like, "Lol, this guy thinks he's going to get his credit. Like it's a joke, right? It's like it's a joke that they just refuse to acknowledge as a joke, but." I have all sorts of good ideas for... That is not one of them, sir. For things that to do is, our listeners. I'm sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase that. That is a really good idea for you and a terrible idea for everybody else. Right, which is the hallmark of a good idea. That's um, true. So, World Championships. Uh, do you watch it? It had quite the tournament structure from what I understand, right? Like the top yeah, so performing players have played like five matches to the top eight and other people played like seven matches a day for three days in a row or something. Yeah, uh, because it's a, a, a some kind of du- variation on double elimination. It wasn't just you lose two and you go home. It, it was something like that. You lose two and you go home. Um, you ended up, like, in the very finals, you had um, PVDDR versus, um, um, I'm going to mess up his last name, Carvalho. Carvalho. I think it's Carvalho. Um, Carvalho had to win an extra match because Dama De Rosa hadn't lost a match yet. So that's why if you were watching it and it was like, we're going to play five matches. Well, why are we playing five matches? This is why. Because there was an extra loss on one side that hadn't happened on the other side. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I, I, I'm enchanted with like doing stuff on arena. It is so much better. Um, I, it's true that you like, first you can see cards. Uh, which has always been like the the nail, the the uh, thorn in the lion's paw for live coverage is looking at somebody's hand and knowing what's in their hand. But like every time somebody has to scry, you just flip over to their screen. And if the uh, producers are on top of that, then they are ready to go. I, I really liked watching on Arena. I thought it was a little anticlimactic just having everybody walk up and um, uh, just sit at a... Uh, at a pair of computers facing each other, but um, the games themselves were great, and uh, I cannot imagine playing that much magic for that much money in that short a time. They should make them. They should build like uh, mobile chairs, so they're in like they're in a pod, 
And like as they play, the pods are like spinning around and moving. And like when they take damage, the pod shudders and the player like gets shaken up type of thing. Really get some additional motion. I didn't watch a lot of it. I watched a little bit on like Saturday night or something. Um, I, I really every time I watch any of the magic streams, um, which, you know, really only happens if I go over to my friend's house and he's watching the Pro Tour or Worlds because I don't tune in on my own anymore for the most part. I'm really just struck at how bad magic is to watch. Like it's it's just not a good game to stream. Um, and I I really hope that Wizards does not stake all of the, you know too much of their success on making trying to push magic as like a broad mainstream watch this game type of thing like i know magic i don't know every single card in there in uh, theros but like i watch arena like i see them playing arena and i'm like i don't know what any of this does like i do not know what these cards do i can't read them like if they don't hover over them i don't know what they are like i can't just turn this on and look at it you know i could turn on any fps game i don't have to know anything about it i can understand when some guys jumping around corners and mowing people down and it's exciting but when you watch magic you just get you just get none of that right like it's just not there um so arena's prettier but i really don't think it has done all that much to improve the viewing experience for the average player or for for, for anyone not already deep in the tank i don't think it's done enough and i don't think you can do enough I disagree with you. Um, the The thing is, is that um, when it comes to the production value and, and people knowing what stuff does, like think about like League of Legends. All right, off the top of your head, how many champions can you pick in League of Legends? Zero. I know nothing about League. Okay, you know nothing about League. Are you with me that League is one of the most popular categories in stream on Twitch? All right, so there's like 60 champions you can choose from and uh, another stack of like 12 spells they can all choose from. And each one of those champions has um, three skills to use. And I don't think the magic's level of complexity, at least with standard, you're getting into um, pioneer and modern. That's a different story. Um, but I think standards level of complexity is at a level with like the, the, ma the online battle arenas or, um, things like Overwatch. I think that because of the, if you're talking very simple, straightforward first person shooter, like, um, some Call of Duty clone, or if I'm going to date myself, Counter-Strike, like you get to choose like what gun is your favorite. It's not like you have a choice of like who's got better jumps versus better grenades versus like what skill class you're playing. But uh, there are so many variations and so many different things that I, I, I disagree with you on that. I think that that magic's level of complexity is in that in that wheelhouse. But you're, the problem is that you are requiring me even like I'm fully capable of understanding any level of magic, right? Like I, I could watch you know, standard games, vintage games, cube games that understand what's going on. If I know the cards involved, I, I don't know what, I don't know every card in standard. Um, God forbid limited. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I, I, if I, if I don't know those then the level of complexity of the format doesn't matter. 
I just see pictures on the screen and I can't appreciate what anything is doing to anything else. And I know magic. I just don't know those particular pieces. Now contrast that with League, which I know nothing about other than that it's a MOBA. If I was at like a bar or someplace where there was ambient noise and I couldn't really listen, but I could see it. I would pay more attention to the league stream than I would the magic stream because the magic stream means nothing to me. It's just pictures, right? I have okay. no way of understanding what's happening, but league. Oh, look, that guy is, he's clearly shooting this other guy and they're running back and forth and his health bar got low and oh, wow, he killed him. But then somebody else came after him and he ran away. Like I can get all of that without having to know any of the specifics about how the game functions where with magic i know exactly how the game functions but if i don't know all of the relevant text then it's hard to keep then it's hard to care or understand what's happening the counterpoint to that would be uh it would take you two or three drafts to have a general idea of what's going on in limited versus um like uh, so for instance we're about to talk about the top eight lists without looking at them if i name a deck you would probably be able to pick, uh, knowing that this is standard, um, you'd probably be able to pick some of the cards and what they do. Like if I tell you um, Castle Ardenvale, I know we've talked about as a as a card. You know what Castle Ardenvale does. Yes. All right, so you know um, a lot. That That's one example. But you, you may not have ever played with one. You may not have ever drafted one. And yet you still have picked up on it just from chatter online or uh, talking about the financial aspects of it. I think um, you're right. You do have to have a, a level of base knowledge to get into it. And something like League or an FPS is easier to, to get from a complete novice standpoint. Like I... I think there's 60 champions in League. I don't actually know. Um, I've avoided League because it feels like it would suck in all of my time, and I don't have that much to spare. Um, I just feel like you're you're being a little harsh on yourself and a little harsh on Arena because uh, would you agree that Arena is light years beyond watching it in paper or uh, Moto? No. Really? I think, I think I think paper was better to watch. I think that paper I think paper is better because you get to see the meat space and magic is a game because of the nature of it I feel seeing the real players and the real cards and the real pieces you the viewing experience benefits from that in a way that like other games don't because they don't have those physical components. You get to see the players, you get to see them thinking, you get to see the emotion on their face. And also they can, you know, you can still cut to the cards to see what they do. Um, I've always appreciated that because you get a sense of that there's people playing the game rather than just two muted heads and then the <laughs> game alongside of them. My, my issue isn't that Arena isn't good for Magic players. It's that it's only good for Magic players. And it's only good for Magic players who are invested in the current set. Uh, as a po And that's, the, that's ultimately the problem is it's a product for people who are already into it. But it's, it's just not going to do a good job of drawing in new people who are seeing it because it's too high of a hurdle. Um, whereas other games 
uh, I think can do that much better. You don't have to understand them to be able to have fun watching them and it and it can draw you in. And you know, I, I will draw I will draw the corollary that look at any broadcast uh competition in a in common American culture, how many of them are slow and cerebral? It's like zero. Right? Like there are chess championships, I'm sure, that are broadcast. I mean, you can't tell me when they are. nobody nobody knows what channel they're on i'm sure they happen but like you know you have all your major sports events but even then you if you move out of like your major nfl nba all that type of stuff you know people can watch the x games or watch you know whatever and those are fun and exciting even if you don't know anything that's going on but you're not watching anything turn-based or or slow because it's just so much harder for the non-fan to appreciate so um I actually think Arena is a delightful and fast version of Magic. Uh, you said you like watching somebody think. That gets old real quick on like a like a Star City stream where they're showing a, a team event or whatever, and you see somebody just like they're they're deep in the tank. They're taking two three minutes. Arena doesn't let you. Um, oh, wow. You can you can rope yourself out a couple times, and that's that's a useful thing. But there there is a clock, and one of the problems with magic has always been the the like the the tournament structure in person one person can easily soak up a majority of that 50 minute round and that's not a thing in arena like it ha- it makes the action keep going and that does favor uh franchised entrenched really good at thinking quickly players as opposed to somebody who might be needing to think it through yes that's an obstacle but I think that it helps with the watchability of it. Um, I I can't get past the, uh, the the cards in hand thing because a lot of times in watching paper magic, I do like watching uh, paper magic streams too. That that knowing what's in the hand and being able to see like what the lines of play that you're planning on doing are. It's not just you know oh I have a two three four curve I'm going to play no matter what. It's I have all of these options available and uh the the broadcast team they put together it's top notch um i'm surprised they didn't bring both cedric phillips and patrick sullivan over but um phillips did great all the broadcasters did great um i could listen to marshall sutcliffe a whole bunch even you know i could listen to him read the phone book he's got they've got me on this and i appreciate the, sh- the strides that magic streams have made just in the past couple of years. And I, I think that they're, they're putting money in and it's making a visible difference. I don't know enough about interpreting the, um, the stockholder call, uh, information. I don't know enough about like, are we getting, <coughs> excuse me, are we getting the right amount of, um, engagement and dollars per person that magic wants to have? But I, I think that this level of professionalism and uh, interest and uh, a quick rate of play can only be good. It, it, the, the components are better. I mean, the broadcast team is strong. The cards in hand thing was is not a failure of paper magic. That's a failure of the broadcast technology that they were using. I mean, look at professional Texas Hold'em. They have... Uh, tables with viewing screens built into the felt 
so that when players receive their their two cards every hand, they have to put them over the glass screen so that you know what all the players at the table have. That's way better. Like that, Magic should have oh. should have done something like that, right? Like pocket cams. Sure. Um, and required players to sort of like anytime a card would be added to their hand or removed from their hand, they have to hold it over the glass or, you know, they had the, the spotters on the floor who were pretty good about it. Um, the, you know, they just needed to be a little more clear about that. So there were uh, uh, tools available to them to resolve the card in hand thing if they had decided to put some more resources into it. Because I agree, knowing what was in the cards was even better. If they were really going to do their job, they would have... Uh, they would spring for uh, like RFID enabled uh, sleeves and then had players put their decks, their cards into specific sleeves that would then be able to track the location of every individual card. You are dreaming, but it took them how long to get to arena? Yeah, but I mean, Moda, we think they're going to do RFID sleeves, but like wizards failure to capitalize on available technology isn't, my fault for thinking of it. It's like, okay, if you're not gonna, <laughs> like you, this is an option. These are, there are viable ways to accomplish this. You've just opted not to do it. So like, that's fine. You're just, you know, it's, it's, you, you have chosen not to put the money into this. Um, you chose poorly. Yeah. But anyways, the top eight here, uh, a lot of red, which is not terribly surprising for a small event like this tends to prey on, People who might otherwise think that it's not a legitimate deck. Um, yeah. This this was really interesting because I wrote about this last Friday that there were um, 16 slots and there were three groups of four, Red Deck Wins, uh, Fires of Invention, and um, Reclamation. And then three people on blue-white control and one person, uh, uh, Piotr Glogowski, who was just like, this sacrifice deck is all I want to do in life. And brother, I'm going to play it no matter what. You know, we almost had the the perfect four 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 four, but we had four four three one, and um, I, I don't I don't trust my skills enough to know like are these the three best deck four de- best decks in standard, or is this just what people thought were a good choice for what other pros thought would be something? Like this is a metagame decision, like you said before. Yeah, I mean that's always the trap on events like this. Is that they're much there's there tend to be a little more inbred than um, at other events, even against a pro tour, which has a larger field. They do that. Um, I don't know. Did anything? You know, I, I noticed some Uro floating around in here uh, in the team of reclamation decks. Um, a lot of brazen borrower again. So cool to see that floating around. Um, I think, I think, like you said, I'd be really careful, like trying to buy speculatively on this. I will not be surprised to see um, Archon of Sun's Grace have a little bump because uh, Domino Rosa made it look really good. Um, it's hard to argue with the amount of value you're getting from it if you don't kill it immediately, and it looked really good in the finals against Fires of Invention, which literally can't deal with it at instant speed. Like, because you could you could play into it and feel real good, knowing that whenever you needed to, you could fire off uh, your omen of the sea and get another two two lifelinker, and they only have so many wrath spells. Um, the one that that did catch my eye is shatter the sky. Um, it hurts to give away that card to anybody who's got the big creature, but you're still getting like a three for one or a four for one. 
And the four mana wrath has always been super duper important. Yes, they get a card, but it, I think that that might be the only one I start thinking is worth uh, purchasing once we're done opening uh, Theros Beyond Death. Once we get to Ikoria, then I'll be looking at buying some Shatter the Sky. Yeah, the nice thing about, you know, Shatter the Sky, you have to give them the card, which is painful, but you are playing it on turn four. So they only get to draw the card if they have a creature with power four greater, but you're right. firing this off on turn four. So you might actually be able to hit two or three creatures. None of, and, and they don't have a creature with power over four because maybe that's not going to come down until turn five as opposed to turn four. And it also has the uh, bonus of if you, like if they have a good board and you've got your Dream Trawler, you go ahead and attack with your Dream Trawler. Its power gets up there and uh, you're going to draw a card to replace your Dream Trawler, which you would have drawn one anyway. But it just goes back to how good Trawler is. Um, but don't don't go buying Trawler either. Yeah, I was, inter- I was interested in the extended arts of that. But I don't think that positioning is right for that either. Not at the moment, anyway. Supply is still pretty high. And I don't know if it's worth chasing those for standard performance. Even though that card looks like it's going to be very legitimate and standard. I'm not sold on that at the moment. I do like uh, that, that uh, Firesman Benchin is a deck. I think that's cool. I'm glad that that's a deck. Even though I'm not playing standard, it makes me happy that both that and Reclamation are both major components of the format those are cool that is cool i'm i'm glad for that too uh it's a card you want to build around and do cool things with and um there's a a lot of ways you can build your fires deck and you just go to town i love that um you can have cards you couldn't actually play uh without your fires in some of these cases like i know a lot of them had um What's his bucket? Uh, Casualties of War. Uh, that wasn't the type in this one. A lot of them were heavy on the Kenrith, which uh, there's a copy of Kenrith in the um, new Challenger decks, right? Um, maybe. Let me see. Challenger decks 2020. And do, 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 do. yes, there's uh, one copy of Kenrith in the uh, Fires deck that they did. And it, it I, Somebody else pointed this out. Um, can you imagine if they waited until a week or two afterwards to say, oh, we're printing this deck with four fires of invention in it for anybody <laughs> who wants it? Like, that was, uh, there's two Fae of Wishes. Like, there's a lot. It's, uh, the the fires deck is very close to the original. It's just, a, it's more of a Planeswalker fires deck. Um, this is, this is a great, mini game and uh, I'll be excited to see if this is the tier of standard going forward. Like, are these really the tiers? Is there one that you're, you'd rather play in a big unknown event? Uh, we'll find out. I do know that uh, my friend who, who was pretty active still um, said that he, he went to a standard event on a Saturday afternoon uh, this past weekend. And he said, it's like one of the first standard events that's fired in like a year in our area. Um, a lot of the FNMs are migrating to draft and uh, EDH, actually. Uh, when I played FNM, there was no uh, EDH FNM. But he said standard suddenly looks good for the first time in a long while, and people are 
people actually want to play it now when they didn't before, which is interesting um, to hear that, you know, st- that that's what it looks like on the ground. Standard has been quite bad, but it, it's certainly gaining some traction. Although I, I, I thought the more interesting thing he said was that all the FNMs have migrated to Commander. That's uh, that's that's a takeaway that right there. Yeah, they're especially this. Um, that was a change they made. I want to say last year that uh, you could now um, have Commander as your official FNM format and still get your Planeswalker points. And however you want to decide to distribute the promo packs and whatnot, uh, it's not just Drafter Standard. You're allowed to do it, uh, Commander, if you'd so desire. Do they still distribute Planeswalker points? So still thing is it? I I don't know. I haven't it, checked on that kind of thing in a, a long time. It probably is. I just wasn't sure. Um, so yeah, standard looking like it's a little more interesting than it was. Um, all right, let's get over to segment four here, our topic of the week. Uh, Secret Lair, Theros Stargazing was announced. Um, this is, again, another Secret Lair product. This time, it's all the uh, original Theros gods. So there's five packs, five volumes as such, and each one carries three showcase gods. And they're all done in the style that we've seen out of the uh, Theros Beyond Death, where they're kind of the constellation thing, and you can see through the text box and so forth. So I'm going to run through these real quick. They are all $40, um, and you could buy all five for $150, saving you was like $10, right? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I don't think you can still buy them. You uh, Let's see. Three days only. Uh, February 14th through 16th. Yeah, so these went down two days ago. Yeah. So it was 200 if you bought them individually or 150 for all five. Um, so the first one was Heliod, Aroas, and Karametra. Second was Thassa, Far, and Crufix. Third was Erebus, Athreos, and Fenax. Fourth with Perforos, Mogus, and Karanos. And the fifth was Nylia, Xenagos, and Farika. Um, and that's a good point that these are no longer for sale. So this is more of a look back at a what was the right choice rather than a what should you do because it's too late to do it, I suppose. Um, Did but, you buy any? No, I... This... Uh, I... Did not I was basically not in front of a computer at all all weekend, um, so no, <laughs> I just wasn't really paying any attention at all. Uh, I, did you? I I looked at it. Um, I have a rule about um, secret layer and stuff. I know that a lot of them uh, flipped last time, but honestly, uh, these are things that I want to pick up to make my commander decks look spicy, basically. And none of these are really things that I'm big on playing right now. Uh, but it's nice that we have all of these to match the new gods and the uh, demigods that we have. And you can have a very constellation-y deck right now. It's pretty impressive if you've got hmm. uh, 10 uh, plus 5 plus the extra 1 red green one. So like you could have a Morophon, the Boundless Commander deck, whose theme is gods. Hmm. And that would be pretty spicy. That's kind of cool. Um. So I, I want to talk about some of the numbers real quick here. The first pack, the Heliod pack, was, uh, you know, if you looked at the TCG player 
non-normal pack mythic non-foil prices for these um the heliod pack came out to about 20 bucks the thassa pack was at 35 the erebus and perforos decks were 40 um, and the nylea deck is about 17 so the heliod and nylea decks right off the bat it looked like were probably not worth it um, in the sense, or at least or we're, we're going to have the hardest time being worth it because they were already worth essentially half the value of the, the secret layer. Whereas the Thassa, and, uh, no, sorry, the Erebus and Perforo stacks were worth like the full secret layer value. They were already worth 40 bucks. Um, and I expect those numbers to flinch now that we have these showcase copies out there. But, you know, clearly the Erebus and Perforos ones were, were your starting point. Now, what I saw one of the vendors talking about was the uh, popularity of the gods. And this was enlightening for me. And he was talking about the top, kind of the top 10 gods from a dealer perspective, like how much business you do on them. And the most popular god was Erebus. Um, did, would you have expected that? No, I would have thought that, um, the, in terms of casual appeal, Perforos would have been the winner because there's a whole lot of decks based on get Perforos in play, uh, play X number of creatures and or tokens and win the game. Like, um, Perforos plus, um, uh, Prosh, the Sky Raider who makes a number of kobolds equal to his mana cost. That's just GG for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like... Perforos. I remember the first time I played against Perforos in EDH, I was like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> as, you re- as you realize what that means. Um, so the top five in p- terms of order of popularity, and this is like from a rough vendor standpoint, right? This is not any sort of hard, fast rule. This is just, you know, one guy's off the cuff perspective. But it was Erebus and then Karanos. Third is Perforos. Fourth was Thassa, and fifth was Fenax. Um, now, if you're keeping track, that means that in volume three, which is the one worth 40, you had both Erebus and Fenax, which was the fifth and first most popular, and Athreos was in there as well. He's way down the list. And then the fourth pack, Perforos's pack, you got Perforos and Karanos, which were second and third, or third and second, respectively. And then Mogus sneaks in there, who's also down towards the bottom. He's like ninth or tenth. Um, and those are the two, those two are seem to be the best positioned because they have four of the most five most popular gods roughly in them, and they were those are also the ones that are priced. You know, the TCG low for those gods was around forty. Um, the Thassa deck only had one card that ranked in the kind of the roughly the top five, which was Thassa herself. Afar and Crawfix like basically not even top ten, um, and she's worth about thirty four. That was worth about thirty four. Now, there's some interesting things in here because you can look at the EDH rec numbers to kind of get a feel for this. So if we look at Erebus, uh, Erebus being, you know, again, we're going to say roughly the most popular god here. Um, he's in about a little over 7,000 EDH rec decks, which is which is good and close to the most. Um, Karanos at number two is only in 2,000. Which is telling because to me that's saying that the demand for Karanos must might be coming from someplace other than Commander. Uh, and then if we jump over to third, Perforos, he's back up to 10,000 lists. 
Dasa at in fourth place at a little over 7,000, and then Fenax in fifth place, 1.5. So the, the two-color gods are significantly less popular than the monocolor gods, but I mean, that's such a significant drop-off in the number of monoplay they're seeing, but they're still very popular, like even more popular than uh, Heliod's at number six, I suppose. Um, in terms of like he was he was ranked six and you know how popular the gods are. Nylia was down eight, and they they were at, uh, like four and a half and six thousand copies respectively. But so you had two two color gods that are effectively more popular. They see more buying and selling action than Heliad and Nylia, but are in way fewer EDH rec decks, like somewhere between like a half and and a quarter and eighth of as, as many EDH rec decks. So I think what that tells me here is that Karanos and Fenax are less appealing as showcase cards because I think that the type of people who want those are not commander players. Well, um, Fenax is the uh, blue-black one, right? The the mill one. Everything has mm -hmm. tap mill equal to the toughness. Um, mm -hmm. I, th I think that's more popular in commander than you're giving it credit for because it, it is really the, the headliner that you could choose for a mill themed deck and you have to be really dedicated to your mill deck to try and take out 300 cards worth of mill uh from other players but uh i've i've seen people do it and i'm, I'm not surprised that it's so high on the list i'm just surprised that um it would be that cheap i guess is the word i would use I'm surprised by that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Fenax, it, you know, Fenax being the mill god is good. Uh, but I, you know, M mill strikes me as much more of a sixty-card kitchen table deck than a mill than a commander strategy, right? Especially because of how hard it is. I'll give so you much that. harder yeah. to, to mill out a uh, commander deck than a 60-card deck. So I, I think that's kind of what you're seeing there, at least for Fenax, is that it's probably the normal Fenax copies are popular with more casual players who want to build them for their casual decks, uh, which would explain why he's so high on the volume play but so low on EDH rack. Although I am kind of curious about a GP vendor buying and selling a lot of this card because I wouldn't expect that many casual players to be walking the floor of a GP, but that's a, beside the point. But And then Karanos kind of goes a different direction because he's m almost the most popular, but he's very low on EDH rec placement. Um, and I, I w I'm not sure what the story is supposed to be here. Like, I feel like it this would be telling me that he's competitive, but I don't think any competitive decks really played a lot of him anyways. Yeah, I remember he was a very popular sideboard choice for Splinter Twin decks, but that was like two, three years ago. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a good read on him essentially. So he's in Karanos for the record is in four percent of all decks he could be in, uh, unless the Erebus is in. So Karanos at four percent, Erebus in six percent. So Erebus about five percent more popular than Karanos. Um, so that kind of holds up. And let's see, who did I say was fifth? Fenax was fifth. He is in. Fenax is at 2% of all decks he could be running. 
Now, uh, one thing that, that did happen is that um, their original allocation sold out. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, that uh, people no. weren't, um, that they were now uh, giving the message, oh, we have sold our allocation, but we're going to print more for you. You'll get it in four to six weeks. I don't remember exactly how long they said. So they, Wizards is proving they have a good read on the market for this. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's a good that's a good point. I I didn't know that, and it's good to know that because that, like you said, shows that they targeted the right number a little bit better this time, or at least they claimed to, uh, for what that's worth. Um, so if we take them at their word, we know that they're getting closer to the right amount. Um, I like knowing that. Uh, I, I guess looking at all this. My takeaway here is that the right, you know, assuming there's no additional information here that I don't have access to, I think the right choice was definitely the Erebus or Perforos ones. Um, I, you know, at the first level, I would probably go with the Perforos one over the Erebus one, but I could see a push either way, mostly because I don't think there are very many people that are going to want the Fenax showcase cards. I think you're going to have a better bet trying to move Perforos and Karanos and maybe Mogus showcase cards and you would Fenax and Athreos is so low. Um, but both were probably good. Now that means that the, the, like the, the level two selection here is going for one of the ones that's really unpopular because that right. would be the one that doesn't sell any, um, which is like probably the Nylia. Nylia one seems like the least popular. Nylia, Xenagos, and Farika. Like nobody's playing those anywhere. So, you know, if you were one of the only people that bothered to buy that, that means that in two or three years, like you're the only one with those cards. But the support, the demand on those is so low as it is. I don't even know if you care. Man, I, I got to say, like Xenagos is one of the things I want to see in a commander game the least. It is ridiculously good because, you know, whatever pops out is going to have haste. Uh, it gives haste and trample or just haste? It can't give uh, both haste and trample. It doubles power and gives haste. That's right. doubles power and gives haste. So um, you're you're looking at a card that um, is really good. Um, and uh, I think you're right that the more financially aware play is going to be to go for the ones like somebody buys the full set and then uh, they flip it to somebody else who probably doesn't want to play all 10 gods I'm sorry all 15 gods and then they say well let me just get rid of these ones I'm not using and that's there's something to be said for that um, you know picking up the ones that nobody wants because the, we're gonna commander players, uh, and cubers, I guess, they're going to soak up so many of these copies that there's going to be relatively few in circulation. It's not going to be to the level of uh, expeditions and uh, inventions. But I think, uh, do you remember when um, the Ammon Cat was out and it seemed like every week there was a different invention that popped? Uh, yes, I do vaguely recall that, yes. So I, I think in a little while we could see something like that where all of a sudden um, Constellation Eroes has gone from $10 to $25. That's a, I don't know what the actual numbers are. Please don't quote me on that. 
Um, but targeting the ones that are less popular and simply being patient because there won't be any more versions like this has potential as an investment strategy. I wonder if, I don't know. I, w I wonder if maybe the angle now is just going after some of these singles. Um, well, this, the sets are, are flipping just not as quickly as people might hope. Uh, I looked it up on eBay and uh, yesterday there were uh, 10, it looked like 10, I counted 10 because I, I can't figure out how to take out sleeves from the, um, the eBay search. Uh, it looked like around 10 people sold their um, pre-ordered copy without having it in hand. Um, they resold it on eBay for 250 or between two and 250. Uh, some best offers were taken. But that's a solid gain, especially for something that uh, you just pick up and then let go again. Mm -hmm. I just wonder, um, like, the, the thing we haven't mentioned yet, also in terms of the value, we don't know if more stained glass planeswalkers are in here. Because that's going to make a huge difference. Yes, that could very much swing things. Uh, we don't know at the moment as far as I know. Uh, I would agree with you that that could dramatically change the value of some of these. Like if If there's a stained glass Liliana in there, I realize oh, well. it, it does <laughs> It doesn't have the same uh, value as um, the, oh, God, what's the name of the Final Fantasy artist? Um, Amano. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, the Amano Liliana, that, that's that's certainly not the same like category, but still, the uh, we got the stained glass Nicol Bolas in one of the earlier secret layers, so they do do the Mythic Planeswalkers, and uh, that still hasn't uh, dropped either. So uh, there, there could be a lot of extra value in this, and I am going to be curious to see if they just decide this is the place to put all the rest of the stained glass planeswalkers. Uh, I mean, I would, ex I, you know, you would assume this is where they're going to go. Which Liliana are you talking about? Dreadhorde General. Oh yeah, probably yeah, yeah. Hmm. I. I also I also suspect that a large portion of these were probably bought as a set, more so than the other secret layers, right? Like, oh you, yeah, I'm just going to take one of all of them type of thing, um, because people probably didn't care nearly as much with like the first run of secret layers where they're like, well, yeah, I want the sliver and the reaper and the reaper king, but like I don't care at all about the cats. But this is much more, it's themed so much more that this is like, a, oh, yeah, you know, if I'm going to buy a couple gods, I should just take them all type of thing. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. You're not going to, I mean, you have a commander deck with four of them and say like, uh, what could I, I could do this differently. But could you and, have yeah, and, and now a I have color deck should have six. Yeah, and now I have one of each. Like, right, I've got a, you know, I know five or six of them will slot in right now, and then I have the other ones for if I ever, if I ever want them. And I wonder if the, if people doing that probably just won't sell any of them. It's like, so I'm just keep them because maybe they'll be good eventually. Well, this is all essentially academic because you know the 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 sale period is over. Um, but my guess was that the Erebus and Perforos ones will be the most valuable, the so, best uh, purchase decision. To wrap the idea up. Um... 
now that you've done this research and now that you see like what's going on, if you'd been at a computer, would you have bought the set at one fifty, given the chance? Um, maybe. <laughs> it looks like I didn't mean for that to be torturous, Travis. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers in front of me. It looks like the TCG low across the board for all 15 adds up to about 150. Plus unknown stained glass goodness. Yeah. Plus the arena sleeves, which people are selling for like six to ten bucks on eBay. Ugh, yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I might have taken a pa- I might have taken a pass at a set. Um, or maybe just like an Erebus and a Perforos one. With the intention yeah, I, of reselling them three months later or something. I think we are going to see a lively market for these. Uh, I don't... I Would you guess that the Constellation version... Uh, I don't think it'll be as expensive as the pack foil version on something, especially like Perforos. But I do think it would be... What would your estimate be? Like 50% more than the original? I mean, if I'm buying a cool-looking Perforos... I'm buying the showcase one. I do right. think these all look better. Probably, I'm gonna I'm gonna say without checking every individual one, somewhere between eighty and one hundred percent of the showcase copies look better than the original ones. Okay, I would bet. And and I'm looking at the showcase one now, and I think they're just a little more dynamic and a little more. I think the colors are better than the original ones. Not just Perforos, but just all of them. I think they're more fun to look at. I'll give you that. Plus, um, now that I'm I'm old, I do find uh, white text on a black background easier to read. Yeah, I'll run everything in dark mode. Um, <laughs> so I like that. Like, I probably wouldn't. I I I can see the pack foils having maybe a small edge on them, but I don't think it'll be much because it it'll be based strictly on the the relative rarity. But right. I think most players would prefer the showcase one. And I'm not even sure that there are going to be more showcase copies and pack foils. And uh, just That's just like gut, gut feeling, I bet you there are fewer showcase foils. I think we're going to see, um, and this would be my advice to anybody who uh, didn't buy it and wants to, figure out the ones you want. And if that's a whole set, then that's a whole set. Uh, there's going to be a time when this first wave arrives and everybody puts their copies up for sale that we're looking for the flip. Um, you don't want to be buying like the first day, but you do want to be ready to buy when supply is at the maximum would be yeah. my advice. Yeah. And um, get what you want and be happy with it and look at it and be like, oh, this is really happy. It, it, it will make you happy. So you should buy it. The, you know, I will say, um, a larger takeaway here is this is a lot of secret layer products. Oh, they are going to be bombarding us, man. Like this is, I mean, the first one came out. Oh God. What? It was before the end of the year, right? It was like December or something. Yeah. Uh, And this is the third one of these. That's like the, we had like the initial five or six run. Then there was the rat one. And now this one, right? Like that's the three releases. Correct. Um, and that's that's like one a month. That's a that's fast. They're putting these out fast. That it, like seriously, I would consider that like basically breakneck speed for Magic product. All right, now are they planning on doing that 
all this year? Are they planning on doing that they're every gonna, month for, for years to come? They're going to do this until we stop buying it, man. That is the simple truth. They're going to do this until it is no longer a profitable thing. Well, they, they, like they, they have to have planned it out ahead of time, though, to you, some extent. I, I imagine that like, for this and that type get of the thing. art. Yeah, that's probably the biggest barrier is like you're not going to use. The, I don't think they've used the same art as the originals yet. So I don't think they're going to. So I think the art would be the biggest lead time. But once you have that, I mean, you you don't have to do any design work. You don't have to do any like uh, testing. You just like, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have uh, like something in like two years. Would you be shocked at like a double billing of uh, the Titans escape and you have Uro and Kroxa in secret lair? Um, yeah, I could see something to that effect. For sure. Or you do like the story of Kenrith and you have like Kenrith, the Royal Scions, you have um, Oko, uh, you do just like the story, you know, we call it Once Upon a Time or something. They have, There is almost no limit to what they can do. And yeah. they, they've told us that 2020 is going to be a year big on reprints. We've got the mystery boosters coming. Uh, we don't know what's on the foil sheet for that. Uh, we've got all the commander craziness that's coming. Um, we've got probably four to five more secret layers this year would be my uh, guess. We're uh, just about halfway through February. We've gotten two. I don't think it's going to be one a month. I think one every two months is pretty reasonable. And they're they're going to keep throwing it at us. And are we going to keep spending the money? You know, I'm sure what they're thinking is, why were we only doing one from the vault per year? They're proving that the, the secret layer, there is a demand for these things if they can accurately identify what the demand is. Who the hell knew rats would be so popular? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. We're, uh, God help us when we get to like, if the we get to the Zodiac, uh, we get to the year of the dragon. What's that going to be like? I'm going to be one broke ass dude. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> I, yeah, and you know the art is definitely the the lead, the major lead thing here because I think it takes a couple months to get those banged out. So they probably need, I would say, I would guess for at least five months. I would say. Because it's, like, it's, like it's, like it's like two to three months, I think, to get art done. Okay. I believe so. So if they decide February 1st that they want to do an Uro, right, they have to give the guy until March, April, probably May to have the art done. And then they have to get it printed. You know, they have to get it, the, the, the set figured out because they have to figure it out and then get it printed. So, yeah, probably probably close to half a year per each of these, But which you know, means can- that if they... Which means if they want to do them in December of this year, they've already got to be. They don't have to have December figured out yet, but they have like to have June summer. Yeah, they have, have the summer ones panned out. Yeah, and um, we haven't shown them that this is a bad idea. Right, right. And they're they're making they're going to keep making these, and they're going to play with the price, and they're going to see what they can get out of us. Um, you know, 
there's there's no getting around that, that that we like shiny things as players we like new versions of things and this um you know this is nothing but good because it doesn't take away from something you already have it lowers the price on like getting in because like there's there's just more copies of something and uh if you're a collector and you like unique uh versions of stuff then you can get that and it's something you couldn't get before so uh they they finally hit on something that can please just about everybody because they're printing it to demand what complaints have you heard about secret lair uh, other than ours, <laughs> uh, it hasn't really been, I haven't really seen much on Twitter right. in terms of people griping about it. Can you believe it? They did something right. They, well, it's not even, it's not even like they, they folded the hundred dollar bills wrong. Let, they, let me rephrase that. They, people are complaining about it, but it's people that are close to the store side of it. Who are I'll looking at that. it and going, wow, you guys are like these secret layers are so bad for the local stores. It's not the players who are complaining. It's the people who are like, yeah, this type of thing is going to drive us out of business. But then Wizards is counteracting that with stuff like the Mystery Booster, which can only be good for stores. Uh, well, that's going to help for sure. But I see the secret layers outlasting Mystery Boosters. Well, yeah. Well, the, the Wizard isn't going to stop supporting the store they're just choosing one or two ways to make more money directly well yeah but that's then, a whole uh, other conversation honestly like if secret lair is the reason you're going out of business uh somebody else, i don't remember who said that on twitter um or was it james might have been james if secret lair is the reason you're going out of business you were doomed anyway well sure sure but and i agree with you if secret secret lair can be the straw but it's not the only factor but at the same time you know it's yet another straw that wizard and wizards has been adding a lot of straws and that's not a store, <laughs> you know, that's not a type of store that tends to run at a high margin anyways. Um, but you know, we've had these conversations before. There's only to dive back into it. Now let's wrap this up here. Uh, where can our listeners find you cliff? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at word of commander and my Friday articles uh, on mtgprice.com. Okay. And I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I'm here almost every week uh, doing our Fast Finance cast. Uh, I would like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by some of the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. <laughs> Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. It brings us to the end of things. Always a pleasure, Travis. Call me anytime when uh, you or James is gallivanting around. Okay. I had a great time, Cliff. Uh, I appreciate you made it out here for us these last two weeks. Uh, thank you, everybody else. And we will see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. 
Thank you.